Okay, the parish is Chukat. Parish is Chukat. In the parish is this famous story about Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And this caused uh, uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous by the Moshe and Aaron were accused of uh, the major transgression that any Jew could have, Chivu Hashem, desecrating the name of God. And as a result, they were not allowed to go back to continue the, the way to Eretz Kedan, and they died along the way, each of them, in a different place, but they died. So the first section on the sheet is this story, is this story. Let's go through it quickly, and I want to point to a couple of, of issues. Pasuk Aleph, Vayavol B'nei Yisrael Kol Ha'idah, B'nei Yisrael Eidah. I mean, if we were thinking uh, in terms of, like, trying to simply interpret the text, this would be a question. Like, what's the difference between B'nei Yisrael and Kol Ha'idah? Right, Rashi says, Eidah Shlema. Eida refers to the fact that they were not all there. The ones who left the tribe were not all there because some had died along the way. But okay, Rashi, at least, even though Rashi doesn't explain himself, he takes note of the issue. That's what Rashi often does. That is good for us. In any event, uh, what happened was the end of the Pasuk Miriam Miriam died and she was buried. Pasuk Bet says Loya Laida and they didn't have water. Why didn't they have water? So Rashi says, Loya Laida, Mikan Yalahem Miriam. So the the, the explanation is that somehow Pazal connected Miriam to the water. Now that's of course an image that could be commented upon uh, Miriam, water, wealth, sustenance, uh, why Miriam was chosen for that. But that's not our issue at the moment. Pasuk Gimel, Vayare Va'ame Moshe, Riv, they had a fight with Moshe, Vayomru Leimor, Lugavanu Begva Achenu Lifnei Hashem. They felt that uh, since the water, there was no water, they would uh, probably die, and uh, and they and they said this odd statement, Lugavan. Rashi says, Rashi says, Halavai Shigavan. Would it have been that we had also that we had also died? I mean, this is a feeling of extreme frustration, hopelessness. This is the the people who died are better off than we are who are alive. Because alive, we're only going to be suffering. Pasuk Dalet. Why did you bring us to this place? They complain. We could die there. We will die and our flocks will die. Now, Pasuk Hey, I think, is a, a Pasuk that should give a special uh, concern. Lama ha'elitanu mimitzrayim l'avi otanu l'amakom hara hazeh lo mekom zera uteina v'gefen v'rimona mayim ayin l'ishnot. Why did you bring us up from Mitzrayim to bring us otanu el ha'makom haraza to this terrible place? Lo mekom. This is not a place where things grow and there are dates and, and, and vines and pomegranates, umayim ayin lishtot. And furthermore, the last thing, I mean, we were in the desert, you know, nothing grows in the desert, and now there's no water either. So what exactly, what exactly is bothering today, Israel? You have to remember, this is close to the end of the sojourn in the desert. This is after 38 years. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that is very annoying. Okay. Vayavom Moshe Baromet Nea Kahala Petach El Petach Oel Moed 
ויפלו על פניהם וירא כבוד השם עליהם. And so B'nai Yisrael, as of Moshe and Aaron turned away. Which means, to me, I mean, Moshe and Aaron, they, they had nothing to say. They couldn't respond. Why couldn't they respond? To tell them, to tell B'nai Yisrael, God promised you that you would leave Mitzrayim, go to Eretz Canaan, we're on our way, we're almost there. As far as water is concerned, you remember you came to me and you asked me for meat, and you got meat. You got me the Slav, those birds, you know, they came rushing down from heaven and sacrificed themselves for your benefit. Okay? So then there's a story. God says, a very strange story. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, take the mateh, take the staff, right, where, where Pasuk 8. Moshe uh, it says that. It says, And you will speak to the rock. Before their very eyes. And the stone, the rock, is going to give forth its waters. Here you go. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, perform this miracle. Here's the rock. Here's your staff. Go and talk to the rock and water will come pouring, pouring out. And so this is like, you know, we know that God told Moshe Rabbeinu to take the staff. And so he takes the staff. And then Pasuk Yud Vayikhilu Moshe Vaharon Etakal Pnei Asela Vayom Elahem Shimunu Hamorim Amin Asela Azen Atzil Hemayim And Moshe Rabbeinu is going to make an event. He says, listen to me, you think we can do this? You think we can get water out of this rock? Pasuk Yud Aleph Vayarim Moshe Et Yado Vayachat Asela Bematepa Amayim Vayetzu Mayim Rabim Vatech Taita Uvira And so here's the mystery. The Pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu raised up his arm and he whacked away at the cellar. And, and, and out came water. And out came water. And the next, uh, if you look at Pasuk uh, Yudbet, Pasuk Yudbet, What a, what a Pasuk. Ya'an, since, You didn't believe in me. Lakdisheni to sanctify my name, God speaking. Yisrael, ergo therefore Because you did what you did, you're not going to bring them to the promised land. But somebody else will bring them to the promised land. That's what Akadosh Baruch Hu says. That's what Akadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Dara. This is a pretty steep, a pretty steep punishment for Moshe and Aaron. Pasuk Yud Gimel, Heimo Memory Vasher Rav Bnei Zot Hashem Vayikadesh Ben. Okay, okay, that's what I call it. That, that's what what it says. That's what it says in the in the pasuk. This tremendous transgression, which we don't understand. We don't understand why this is a tremendous transgression. I mean, what difference does it make? This is, these are questions that are already asked by Rishonim, not by Rashi, but the Rabbanel asked the question, the Rabban asked the question, everybody asked the question. What is the difference between speaking to the rock and hitting the rock in terms of the miraculous nature of the result? What difference could there be for the sanctification of God's name to hit the rock or to speak to the rock. What's the nafkami? Now we are very clever and so we could perhaps make a distinction. Make a distinction that through the rock is an inanimate object and speech is something that goes only for certain elements in creation. Right? There are things that cannot speak and there are things that can speak. So if you speak to something that cannot speak, maybe it's a greater miracle than whacking away at something that cannot speak. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I mean, you could say something like that. We could say something like that. But here, you have this remarkable pasuk. You have this remarkable pasuk.
just one second, Pasuk. Uh, <clears throat> there, there are three remarkable elements here. The first one is the complaint of Bnei Yisrael. Pasuk uh, Dalit. Pasuk Dalit, the fourth Pasuk. Lama Eveitem et Kahal Hashem el Amidbar Why did you, Moshe, bring us to this desert? Lamut Sham, Vanachnu Vireinu. Pasuk Hei 5. Lama Helitunu Mimitzrayim. Why did you bring us out of Mitzrayim? Laviotano Lamakom Hazeh. You brought us from Mitzrayim, which was normal. It was a normal place. It's true that we had difficulty in Mitzrayim. We were slaves. But the country, the place, was a place where you could live. And you brought us to a place where you cannot live. The place where you cannot live is called a desert. I know that there are people who live in the desert, but few. Most people do not live in the desert. And certainly at that time when, the, when this was taking place, living in the desert was not a great option, right? There were no country clubs in the desert, and there were no shopping centers in the desert. There was no way to establish life as it was lived in the cities around the desert in the desert. So that Moshe Rabbein, Bnei Yisrael are complaining to Moshe Rabbein, you brought us from the real world? Difficult, yes, but real. It was the real world that you brought us into the desert which, as the Medrash says, is a place where there is no life. Nothing lives in the desert. I know that we could correct that a little bit, but that doesn't matter. The idea is correct that the desert is not an optimal place to live unless you're going to Las Vegas. That seems to be a contradiction to this idea. But in those days, right, building a city and putting a bubble around it and air conditioning everything in the bubble was not really an option. It's not something that happened. So here they say, you took us out of the tribe and brought us into the desert. What are they talking about? Don't they know that the way to get from Mitzrayim to Eretz Canaan was through the desert? And don't they remember that the reason that they are drained around in the desert for 38 years is because of the Chait Maraglin, which they generated? What exactly, what exactly are they blaming Moshe Rabbeinu for? What are they blaming Moshe Rabbeinu for? Yeah, but is that, what is it? That's not really what's going on. It's 38 years afterwards, most of the previous generation has already been pushed aside. Right, but if there's no water, the rest of them could also die. Correct, but I mean, they would have been separated from that generation, so they yeah. might have a justification for saying, that was our parents, why aren't you already bringing us in immediately into Okay, what do you mean immediately? They're going, they're on their way. They're on their way. Um, again, Pasuk. Uh, Pasuk uh, Yudbeis. Pasuk Yudbeis. When God summarizes what happened, in other words, remember, Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock, he didn't speak to the rock. That seems to be the, the only thing we see in the story that Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's reaction, Yom HaShem HaMoshe Ve'laron, Ya'an, right, since, Lo He'emantem Bi. How does that sound? I mean, I mean, what could that possibly mean? And Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to God. And Moshe Rabbeinu produced a miracle. He hit the rock and out came water. So how can you call all of that Yanki Loemandabi? So you could say, okay, maybe Moshe Rabbeinu didn't believe that by talking to the rock, the water would come out, and so he hit the rock. It's like the rock is a, is a little animal that, you know, you say, a rock, uh, how about some water? 
And if there's no water, so you could try beating the rock. That seems strange. It seems uh, strange, but again... Especially after all the miracles that he did. What? Especially after all the miracles that he did. Ten plagues, throw this in the air and something happens, turn water into blood. He's seen so, all of these miracles. Lo I don't understand. That makes it even more... Uh, but what, so, so, so if, your, if your position is correct, it makes it even more difficult to right. understand. Okay. Yeah, uh, again, Yan lo hemantem bin. I don't know exactly what hemantem means. Today, today you could say somebody doesn't believe in God or somebody doesn't believe in creation. What exactly is it that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't believe? I mean, while he's talking to God, what do you think? I mean, and, and as you say, but Moshe Rabbeinu was the author of endless miracles, many of which seem to be more powerful, more potent, more disregarding of nature, like Kriyat Yamsuf, as the Rambam says, splitting the sea. I mean, that sounds like a big miracle. How can you compare talking to a rock to splitting the sea? God here is asking him to change his pattern of behavior. To change? His pattern of behavior. The last time... Who's his? Moshe? Moshe. Moshe and the last time, when they requested water, the other major rebellion, back in Shemot, he hit the rock. Right. Now, Moshe, uh, uh, God is saying to him, you have to speak to him. This is a new generation. He, he's relating to it, I think, the way, the same way. This is a new generation of people that didn't have the same sins as their parents. They didn't reject you're, parents. You're giving it Terence. Yeah. You're explaining it. To well, so make sure everybody understands. You're ex- giving, you're answering, okay, true. you're answering the question. Trying to, but I want to try to answer the question. Okay. Just a second, <laughs> hang in there. Low mountain B, low mountain B. I don't say what that mountain means. The word, it's like too powerful a word to use for this situation. It could be, Jeff says, there's the old generation, the new generation, the old miracle, the new miracle. Like all of that could be taken into account. I agree, but I'm doing something else. Mountain B, that's a word that comes up often in the Torah, which is totally inexplicable. We don't understand it. What do you mean, like the shame? What would be greater about talking to the rock than hitting the rock? Especially since, as you point out, the last time around he hit the rock. At the end of the, the, end of the parish of B'Shalach. Before their eyes, you had this opportunity. Therefore, you're not going to bring them to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so we have a few problems. We have a few questions. I want to review things, a few things that we all know. The next section. The next section is about the Egel Azahav. Remember the Egel Azahav? Perek Lamed Beis. Right? The same Parshat Kitisa. There's the story of the Egel Azahav. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up on Harsinai to get the Torah, whatever that might mean. And he spends 40 days and 40 nights on Harsinai. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, God apprises him of the fact that something terrible has happened in the Machaneh, in the camp. He comes down, he sees all these terrible things going down, going on, and Moshe Rabbeinu smashes the Luchot, the Luchot, the tablets, the stone tablets that he has, and that he's brought down from, uh, from the mountaintop. So besides the question of what exactly was the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu received, at that time, we could also ask ourselves, why did Moshe Rabbeinu, why did Moshe Rabbeinu uh, smash the Luchot? Why couldn't he just put them away someplace? So if you look at the, at the second section, right, Shemot Perek Lamed Bet Pasuk Zayin, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go down, go down, raid. Because they have done some terrible thing. They have destroyed things. The people that you took out of Mitzrayim. Rashi says, You see the Rashi? It's, it's a hard kind of word to use. That's the proof that is a difficult word, a harsh word. Listen to Rashi. 
means go down. Go down. Go is horizontal and rain is vertical. Vertical down. Mi gedulatcha. From your greatness. Go down from greatness. Lo natati lecha gedula elevishvilam. You are only great as the leader of Bnei Yisrael. Botasha'ah. At that time, I mean, this is like amazing. The Beitin Shalmala, whatever that is, but it means like the heavenly court is perfect. They know exactly what the situation is, and the heavenly court says, Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was put into Cherem. He was excluded. He was sent away. Why was he excluded? Why was he sent away? Why was he put into, into Cherem? Because he was not Moshe Rabbeinu. He lost his job. He lost his position as Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did he lose his, his position Moshe Rabbeinu? Because B'nai Yisrael lost their status as, as B'nai Yisrael. They were no longer the people that God was interested in. So Moshe Rabbeinu, so when HaKadosh Bohu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, laid rain, it's like it's like the, you could ask, you know, like they used to do that all the time in school, right? What was difficult for Rashi, and what was the answer that Rashi gave for the pasuk? So I find that a little tiring, but you could do that. You could say, what was bothering Rashi? Was bothering Rashi was why does the Torah say rain? Go down. Why couldn't the Torah just say lech? You know that when you're on the top of the mountain and you have to go someplace, you're always going to go down. Don't to tell Moshe Rabbeinu to go down. There was no other way to go. But the raid has nothing to do with Lech, according to Rashi. Lech means go. Go back to where you came from. Go back to the people. Go back to do what you're supposed to do. Raid, in order to do that, you better readjust your opinion of yourself. So uh, then, uh, go back to the Psukim. Psuk Chet. They deviated from the way they made this golden calf they bowed down to it they sacrificed to it These, this is the God that took you out of Mitzrayim this is a pretty serious this is a pretty serious transgression pretty serious I mean compared to complaining that there's no water Understand why Moshe is, is, is judged by the heavenly way to it's, it's the people. Of, so. Moshe is not being judged. Moshe Rabbeinu just—it's just, it's like there's no there are no people left, so there's no Moshe Rabbeinu left. That's what God says in this pasuk. I saw these people, and they are a difficult, stiff-necked people, whatever that means. That's the that's what God says to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's no people left. They 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 turned to idolatry. I mean, they did the most elementary transgression. The transgression that everybody understands is terrible. They did it. That if they did it, so they're gone. If they're gone, you're gone. That's what that's what, what that's what Raji says. He said you can't be the leader of a group that doesn't exist. Because he failed. Then? What? Because he failed. Uh, maybe he failed, but he certainly that. did. It, the, the leadership is not in place anymore, because God said, "Let's do away with them. Let's get rid of them, and instead of them, we'll start from you. We'll start over again." And somehow he is, his davening is good enough to, to be, uh, uh, to, to win the case. The next morning, you have sinned a great sin. Vata elel Hashem ulai achapra ba'ad chatotechem. I will go up to God and maybe I can generate a pardon, some kind of response from heaven. Pasuk lamed aleph 
וישוב משה להשם ויאמר אנא חטא העם הזה חטא גדולה ויעשו להם אלוהי זהב. He starts off, you know, his brief, the way he argues the case. He says, I don't want to argue about whether it was terrible, whether it was idolatry. It was certainly all of that. פסוק ל"ב ואתה אם תישא חטאתם אתה משה רבינו says אם תישא חטאתם if you'll forgive them תישא is to bear the hate to bear the sin which is another way of saying to accept them to accept their תשובה to accept their their response אתה אם תישא חטאתם if you will bear their transgression if you don't if you don't bear the sin you insist on destroying them then you have this non-sequitur right erase me from the book that you wrote Now what does erase me from the book that you don't have to do with the claim that or the argument that Moshe Rabbeinu is making in favor of B'nai Yisrael? Uh, you remember I told you many times the, the, the pshat of Rav Nachman? No? Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, What is Mecheni Nam Esifricha? What's Mecheni Nam Esifricha? It's a terrific pshat. If I tell it to you and you don't think it's terrific, it's my fault. Because it's disturbing. <laughs> you told me, but I don't remember. That one said it. Moshe Rabbeinu said, How is it possible that I, who was appointed the defense attorney for B'nai Yisrael by God, how is it possible that I'm not successful? Because what does it mean to be appointed the leader by God? It means you're going to be successful. It doesn't mean you're going so that Moshe Rabbeinu said, my plea has got to be successful. But what if it's not? What if it's not? So then he said, it must be that there's something wrong with me, that I've changed in some way and become unacceptable for leadership. And he said, what could it be that made me unacceptable for leadership? What trait could I have absorbed that would make me unacceptable? So he said, it must be a lack of humility. It must be a lack of humility. We all know, we all know that the Pesachim, the Perak Aleph, about the creation of man, Naseh Adam B'Tsalmenu Kidmutenu, yes? Let us make, plural, let us make man in our image, in our form. It's our menuchidmutein. So Rashi says, What? Very good. Anvetanuto shel hakodesh bochu izot. This is humility. What's God's humility? What does that mean? God doesn't have humility. Even if you don't go with the Rambam 100% on this, everybody can agree. God's not humble or not humble. God is God. So, means, I think, that Rashi says, God created humility. Just as God created the sun and the moon and the grass and the flowers, God created humility. Why did God create humility? Because humility is the great enabler for man slash woman to achieve the most with their God-given creation, humility. And that's why when Moshe Rabbeinu died, the epitaph was Anav Mikol Adam, right? That Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble of men. So here you have Moshe Rabbeinu standing before God, pleading the case of B'nai Yisrael who have transgressed, right? Pleading their case, and he says, if you accept my plea, Okay, but if you don't accept my plea, it means I've lost my standing. I'm no longer Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm just a person. I'm just a person. So what could have possibly caused that? So he said a lack of humility. So he says, where did that lack of humility come from? Moshe Rabbeinu said. So he says, Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai. and Har Sinai, he 
saw the Torah, what we call the Torah. And in that Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu saw when he was on Har Sinai for the first 40 days and 40 nights, it says, again and again and again and again. So Moshe Rabbeinu said it must be that that pasuk or that repeated statement that somehow I, Moshe Rabbeinu, am involved in the creation of the Torah, that must have caused my lack of humility which reduced my capacity as a leader, which made it impossible for me to argue the case. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Mecheni na misifricha. Erase me. Erase my name in all of those psukim where I would just be kind of become, uh, 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 I, would, I would lose my, my humility erase all of those pasukim, I'll regain my humility and I'll be able to argue the case for B'nai Yisrael. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Vayom Hashem Moshe, Mi Asher Li Misifri. Not you, but them. So according to the story about the Chet HaEgel, the Chet HaEgel was a tremendous, was a tremendous uh, uh, sin. And yet, and yet Moshe Rabbeinu was able to argue the case on behalf of B'nai Israel and save them. Okay, there was, a, there was a, a battle and many people were killed, but Am Yisrael remained intact. They, they, they took whatever they took and they went on their way to Eretz, Eretz Gennad. If you turn the page, um, turn the page, Shmot Perek Shmot Perek Lamedalet, you see? Vayom HaShem Moshe, Vayom HaShem Moshe Psalecha, Shnei Luchot Avanim Kerishonim. You know that there was then, right, Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai the first time after 40 days and 40 nights, right? He went up on Vav Sivan, Vav Sivan, maybe Zion Sivan, Vav Sivan, which is what we call Shavuot. Right, and then he came down 40 days later, which is Shivasa Batamas, which is coming up, I think. Mm-hmm. It always happens like that. Mm-hmm. So the Shivasa Batamas is Excellent. two Shabbatot. Oh. Right, two Shabbatot. So the fast is pushed off for Sunday, till Sunday. Yudchet, Yudchet Batamas. So after 40 days, 40 days, it took Moshe Rabbeinu 40 days to clear everything up. Moshe Rabbeinu went up at Har Sinai again. And what was the date that he went up a second time? Rosh Chodesh Elul. Rosh Chodesh Elul. And then 40 days later, Moshe Rabbeinu came down. Right? That was Yom Kippur. It was Yom Kippur. Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai. Now, Vayom HaShem Moshe Psalecha. Now this is a kind of a, an important thing because the first time Moshe Rabbeinu went up again, Rav Sivan until Shivas of Tammuz, Moshe Rabbeinu received Luchot from God. God was the one who hewed the rock and then wrote whatever was written on it in this miraculous way, as the Gemara says. Vayom HaShem Moshe the second time, Psalecha. You, you prepare the rocks. You, you, the, the stones. Psalecha. Right? Shnei v'chot avanim kerishonim. Two stones, similar to the first two stones. V'chatavti ala luchot et advoim asher yiv luchot v'rishinim asher shibarta. So you see that the luchot ha'evin were a, a joint venture. The first time Moshe Rabbeinu went to Har Sinai, went to Har Sinai, and he, like somebody plopped these stones down into his lap. He received them from HaKadosh Baruch The second time he went up on Har Sinai, it was a joint venture. Moshe Rabbeinu prepared the stones. HaKadosh Baruch wrote on the stones. The result might have been similar. The result might have looked the same. But you see that the investment was different. It was different in the way Moshe Rabbeinu related. Right? 
then Pasuk Bet Vayei Nachon Laboker, Alita Baboker Har Sinai, Vinitzapti Lishavo Roshahar, Vishlo Yalei Mach, Gamishla Yerabakola Har, Gavatsova Bakar, you go up yourself, you'll be there yourself, just you, Moshe Rabbeinu, and HaKadosh Bofu, and and so, right, if you look at the last Pasuk, Pasuk Kavtet, you see Pasuk Kavtet in this section? Moshe Rabbeinu came down Har Sinai, we're talking about Yom HaKippurim. Right, Yom HaKippurim, the second time, the second Luchot, the second time Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai. Shnei Luchot HaEidut Minat Moshe so he was holding on to these luchot which were distinguished by the fact that they were a composite effort right they were God and Moshe Rabbeinu made these luchot together and Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that there were rays of light coming out of his face speaking to HaKadosh Baruch. Now this is an image which is very powerful. I think Michelangelo liked it and Rembrandt liked it. Everybody liked it. These, these, these horns of light coming out of, coming out of Moshe Rabbeinu. But for us, for us, I think that the meaning of it is correct. It's, I'm sorry, the meaning of it is clear. When Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai the first time with the Luchot, there was no light, there were no rays, there was no lighting up the whole, the whole world with the light that Moshe Rabbeinu brought into, into the world. That didn't exist. Well, I, think that, I think that many, many commentaries, modern commentaries, in trying to understand the difference between Luchot Aleph and Luchot Bet would say something like this. I mean, I'm saying it. Uh, it all comes from somewhere, but I don't know exactly where at the moment. What's the difference? What's the difference between Torah and And why do we have that? Why do we have that distinction? Torah Torah the written Torah, is limited. I mean, language is a limiter. It, it limits the, the possible interpretations, even though it is true that in modernity the, 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 the uh, interpretations of written text are very uh, sometimes uh, very liberal. And it's not always easy to see what the connection between the text and the interpretation is. It's especially true in, uh, in, uh, in uh, staging plays, right? The ancient, like ancient or, or early plays staged as modern plays is very common, I think. Not that I know that much about it, but it's pretty common. But language, language, the words of the, of the text inhibit you. They don't allow you. They don't allow you to go too far away. And when you do something that takes you far away, you have to be able to justify it. So that if the Torah says, Ayin Tachad that the punishment for the Zikin would be Ayin Tachazayin, an eye for an eye, and you say, no, it's not an eye for an eye, but it's mamon, that you actually pay money. You have to be able to justify that. You have to be able to say that that's what the text really meant. And as I pointed out in the past, you could say that the Rav Sadiagon said it. He said, look, if a person uh, damages another, another person's eye, but he doesn't take away his eyesight entirely. He takes away 50%. 60% of his eyesight. Well, how can we ever impose that upon him? How can we, we, there's no way for us to know how to, I mean, we, could, uh, we could know how to knock out somebody's eye, but you can't really figure out a way to knock out 50% of his eyesight. That's a little bit more difficult, and therefore, it's reasonable to say, it's reasonable to say, that's what Sadiagon said, 
it's reasonable to say that it doesn't mean knock out his eye, but it means extract some kind of equitable payment, and that the reason that the Torah says is because that's the theoretical punishment that he deserves. It's just that we can't apply it. We can't, we can't do it. So that Torah Shebechtav is limited. It's a language. It has to, you have to be able to get into the language to find out what the Torah Shebechtav means. Torah Shebechtav is not like that. Torah Shebechtav, there's no text. There's no text in Torah Shebechtav. Yes, I know that today there's a text called the Mishnah and the Gemara, etc., etc., etc. But originally, there was no text to Torah Shebechtav. It was all in my head. And in my head, there's no text. In my head, all there, what there is in my head is possibilities. You know, one possibility after another possibility. Possibilities of understanding. Possibility. So that, that Torah Shemichtav is limited. Torah Shemichtav is really unlimited. It's a limit, Torah Shemichtav is limited because it's a text. Torah Shemichtav is unlimited because there is no, because there is no text. And so... When Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai the first time, what did he have? He had the Torah Shemichtav. He had the Torah Shemichtav and he understood why B'nai Yisrael had made a mistake. Why B'nai Yisrael had misunderstood because even though God said, God said, uh, but I do not serve any other gods. But B'nai Yisrael said, well, that, you know, that was the word serve me and it was another you know, God. Me. They, they, they didn't have they didn't have a complete understanding. All they had was the words. And the words didn't give them. So Moshe Rabbeinu went to Kaddish Baruch and said, look, there's something wrong here. You can't expect B'nai Yisrael to understand exactly what the heavenly intention was. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai the second time, he had this light coming out of his face. The light coming out of his face representing... The grander understanding, the more, the limitless understanding, the understanding without boundaries, the understanding that covers, that covers all of the, all of the cases and all of the, all of the time, all of the different, all of the different possibilities. That's Torah, Torah So Moshe Rabbeinu came down the first time with the Luchot, that's Torah Shemichtav. The Torah Shemichtav, which was not applicable. It wasn't something that we could understand properly. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu broke those luchot the second time. The second time the luchot were made of a joint venture. They were a joint venture between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu. Produced it. And when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai, he said to everybody, listen, don't be, don't think that the Torah Shemichtav on the luchot is what you have to know. But this light that is emanating from my face, that's what you have to know. You have to know the Torah Shabal Peh, which makes the Torah Shabal reasonable, understandable, uh, applicable, and, and, and all, of these, all of these things. And so, and so, uh, if, we go back, if we go back to the, to the first, uh, the first the thing, you see, what's the issue that B'nai Yisrael kept coming up with? The issue that B'nai Yisrael kept coming up with was the promise. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised that we would go to Eretz Kenan. And what is it that they did not understand? They did not understand. <coughs> they did not understand how Sachar Onesh, reward and punishment, fit in with the promise. As far as they understood, they, B'nai Yisrael, understood, the promise should take always, should be the default. It should always be there. It's what God told us, B'feirush. It was the word of God that said, we're on our way to Eretz Kedan and we're going to inherit Eretz Kedan. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to explain to them, because we're going to try to teach them that that Sachar Ba'onish, that reward and punishment takes priority sometimes in time over the promise. And it does not limit the promise in any way. It doesn't mean that God has reneged on the, on the promise. And therefore, and therefore when, when uh, B'nai Israel came 
at the end of the 38 years, right? The end of the 38 years, wandering around in the desert, but Israel came and said, what are we doing here? I mean, what, why aren't we at Eretz Canaan? Why isn't the promise being fulfilled? Why isn't there, uh, uh, why isn't, why don't we have what God promised that we would have? So HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKadosh Baruch said, the first source is the, the Hebrew word right if you remember the old pond that you all went to is a hifil what's hifil what's, what does hifil usually mean you made somebody do something Right, you lo emantem be. You did not produce emunah in the people that I demand. God said, right? You did not produce that. You did not produce that. What did they not produce specifically? The Bnei Yisrael felt that there was a lack of concern for the promise because of sachar others because of reward and punishment. They were being punished. And therefore, the promise would not be in place anymore. That's what they, that's what they thought. That's what B'nai Yisrael thought. So that after 38 years of the desert, it wasn't like, like Chaita Egel. What was the argument that Moshe Rabbeinu made the Chaita Egel? He said, what do you want from them? What do you want from B'nai Yisrael? They, they, uh, uh, they don't get it. All they have is Torah Shemichsav. All they have is like the, the written word. I mean, they don't know what it means. They don't understand it. They made a mistake with the Chayta Egel. So HaKadosh Baruch accepted that. And, and as a result of accepting that argument, he allowed Moshe Rabbeinu to go up and Arsidai receive the Torah again, but this time with the Torah Shemal Peh, which is the explanation of the Torah Shemal which minimizes the chance for, for that kind of mistake. 38 years in the desert, Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching Torah Shemal Peh. One of the things that he's teaching, one of the things that he's teaching is that Sachar Onesh sometimes puts off, sometimes puts off the promise, but the promise is in place. There's no change in the, in the, the, in the divine promise. That doesn't change. So when B'nai Israel came to complain about the water, I mean, it's true, the water is a small thing, but what did they say? I mean, small thing, it's something that, that could easily be, uh, be changed. So they said, why'd you bring us here? What are we doing here? What are we, why aren't we in Eretz Canaan? Why aren't we in Eretz Canaan? So they, they, were, they said, the promise should come first, and not the problem of Sakhar, not the problem of Sakhar Ba'onesh. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, go talk to the rock. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, if God tells me to take the mateh, mateh, staff, God told me to take the staff, he must mean that I should hit the, the rock and not speak to the rock, even though he said speak. So what do you have? You, you have a case where there's a, con, a not a conflict, but it's the Torah Shabbat which demands explanation by the Torah Shabbat What's the Torah Shabbat The Torah Shabbat is that God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Speak to the rock. What's the Torah Shabbat That Moshe Rabbeinu says, Moshe Torah Shabbat Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm going to hit the rock. Because that's what really has to be done. That's what is meant. That's what's meant. It's like Ayin Tachadayin. It doesn't mean Ayin Tachadayin, but it means something else. So Moshe Rabbeinu is last step, last chance, try to show B'nai Israel that the Torah Shaval Peh is where the answer to their question is. And the Torah Shaval Peh says, Sachar Onesh contemporarily beat the promise, but ultimately the promise will win. There will always be, there will always be that promise. So Moshe Rabbeinu tries at the last moment to convince B'nai Yisrael but that becomes a travesty that people said, God said, speak to the rock. And Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. So Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Yan ki lo bi. Since you did not produce the proper standard of emunah in the people of Israel, you will be punished. You did not successfully fulfill your charge. 
and your charge was to bring the Torah into the world. And to understand what the Torah brought into the world is, you have to understand that the promise remains, but the Torah takes priority in time sometimes, even over the, over the promise. Did I do it? I did it. It's strict. What? It's very harsh. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't look at it that way. Can, I don't can, look at it that way. Can you expand a little on the idea why... I'm just going to say good chance. Yes. Uh, you said that God created humility and humility was necessary in order for human beings to raise up. What was that exactly? It means that you, know, you have to have some notion of, let's say... Human beings could also achieve as human beings, could be better people. What makes you a better person? So according to the Torah, it's humility. What, what? No. Humility is not between. Humility is a way of, uh, of, of making judgments about what is important and what is not important. That's what humility is. Like if, uh, if, if a person who uh, who thinks that his standing before God is important, that's humility, and therefore he's not concerned about other kinds of uh, honorariums or things like that. When when it says lo he speaking to Moshe and Aharon, is that why it's yeah lo okay, right? But but it means. You didn't produce emunah in me in the proper manner. You, Moses. Now. You, Moses. Yeah. Is the understanding that the people heard God say to Moshe, talk to the rock, or just Moshe heard that? And there's no Joshua because... It's Whichever it fits in. Whichever. Well, no, because if people didn't hear it, what does it matter? I don't I agree. But I would, you would say that if there's a chilul Hashem, it's because the people did know about it. They no. did know what it was that... Uh, Even if they didn't hear it, it still makes a difference. Because, because again, I mean, I go back to the original thing I brought up at the beginning of the I think it's a different generation of people. They're entering a land now where they're going to have to conduct themselves in a certain manner. Moshe in the desert, when they're starting out with those that... That, that all of them are out there responding to a different type of behavior pattern hitting and striking physical acts etc of what they understood because they were former slaves this is now the first generation of free B'nai Israel they couldn't act that way any longer I mean I, I, I think what you're saying is good it's different than what I'm saying the way I relate to this is actually the way that I'm sure you've heard of Jean Piaget, the psychologist, right? Because of the different learning levels. He's only up to three years old. What? From the four, four years. Three to four years old, correct. So the very lowest level is concrete operational, and the most, the highest level, about 12 years old, is abstract thinking. And I think the first generation was the non-said generation, and the next generation is the Nishma generation. I'm not, I can't disagree with you. Huh? It's just different. It's a different way of looking at it. It's just throwing it out in a different way. That's all. 100%.